Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. So, as we mentioned before, Pastor Daniel is preaching in another church that was in a bind and they needed help. And so he went to help them. I'm sure he would want to be with us today, but there was a need. When they called and asked him, he didn't answer immediately. He told them that he had to, you know, seek the Lord and pray first and make sure that that's what the Lord wanted him to do. And if so, line things up in in his church to make sure everything was covered, which he knew wouldn't be a problem because we are adamant about training everybody else up, even the kids. So like I tell people, if, you know, if, if the Lord sins and we're needed, that's okay. Even if we got to pull one of them kids up, they can preach. They, everybody can do it. But the interesting thing is the way God works because he always demonstrates the message. Because the word that he gave me was on the difference between wants and needs. Actually, a couple of weeks back, we were talking with Devante and he was telling us how his manager, he works at the library, was talking to him about learning the difference between wants and needs. And that has been resonating and it keeps coming back. And it's a very important lesson. It's something very needed in this current generation and in our current situation. Because as foreign as it might seem, we have a whole generation who does not know the difference between wants and needs. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Because the spirit of Antichrist works through materialism, through your wants. But God is here to give you what you need. What you need is not always what you want, and what you want is not always what you need. With maturity, you will come to a place where you want what you need, but it doesn't start there. And the church is very immature. Not this church in general, the church. So Pastor Daniel would want to be with us this morning, but he needed to be with them. And I find it interesting Because the church that asked him to come is a small church in a small place that's been run for several years by a little old woman in a denomination that does not allow women to lead or even speak out loud. They would not want her to lead, but they need her. There was no choice. The doors would close if she wouldn't have stepped up into that role. What we want is not always what we need. And the reason the Lord is releasing this word is because he's very soon about to start stripping away a lot of the wants to get to the needs. Things are going to shift in this nation and in the world and things are going to get very difficult economically and in other situations. So we need to prepare our spirit to be satisfied with what we need and not go chasing after what we want because it will lead you down a very bad path. Sometimes God will give you what you want, because he's good. He's a good father. But a lot of times he won't. I've used the example before about the dogs we had when we were kids. We had two dogs, and one of them was fine to be loose, and one of them liked to chase vehicles. Didn't matter if it was an 18-wheeler, he thought he could catch it. So the little one got to run free and play with the kids and the big one had to stay in the pen. 
behind the electric fence for his own good. He wanted to be with us. We wanted to, him to be with us, but we needed to keep him confined for his own safety. As good masters, we couldn't give him what he wanted all the time because it was detrimental to him. And as a good father, God will not always give us everything we want because sometimes it's not what we need. But he will give us the right thing at the right time. His timing is perfect. And his will is good, even though it may not seem good in the moment. Trust him. That's where faith is. Faith is in the waiting, in the enduring, in the patience, in all those fruits of the Spirit that don't grow in an instant. I'm sorry, in this day and age, we like to believe we can go to a conference and have somebody lay hands on us and shake us around and we get an instant importation and anointing and everything is great. Fruit takes time to grow. You have to go through some seasons. Trust Him. Yes, a seed can be planted quickly. The journey starts somewhere. But be patient and trust Him. I might not have the message you want today, but I have the message you need. Open to Exodus chapter 16, verse 14. This is in the wilderness as the children of Israel went on their journey out of Egypt, moving towards the promised land, Exodus 16, verse 14. They're running out of provision. They're running out of physical food. Now, the manna was a food. They were hungry. But the manna also represents the word of God what feeds our spirit, which of course is Jesus. He is our daily bread, our communion, that time with him feeds our spirit. So there is a spiritual parallel and a physical parallel here. They were hungry. So God gives them what they need. As we go on in the story, we hear them complaining. This is not what we want. We miss the cucumbers and the leeks of Egypt. We we miss all the good food. If you read the description of the manna, it was kind of plain. It wasn't very, you know, elaborate. And it's the same thing for every meal, for every day for 40 years. It wasn't what they wanted, but it was what they needed. And even in the quantity that he needed. It says, and when the dew that laid upon the ground was gone up, behold, Upon the face of the whole wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as a hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they knew not what it was. Manna basically means like, what is it? It's, it's a whatchamacallit. <laughs> and Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord had commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, an omer for every man. So an omer is a a weight measure. It's a certain amount. So he says, give to everyone according to their eating. In other words, enough for you to have to eat this amount per person. According to the number of persons... Take ye every man for them that are in his tents, 
And the children of the house of Israel did so and gathered some more and some less. So not everybody had a measuring cup to go out and measure. So they just each went, picked up a random amount. Some got more, some got less. And when they did meet, when they went to measure it with the omer, to make sure everybody got one omer, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. So we kind of glance over this, but what this is really saying is that God determined that the amount they needed to eat per day was one omer. And that each person should get one omer. So they all go out and gather different amounts. But when they come to measure it, miraculously, they all have one omer. God made sure that nobody had extra and nobody didn't have enough. They all had exactly what they needed in that moment. May not have been what they wanted. It was what they needed. Some might have wanted to get a little more. A little bit of food hoarding. But when they did that, God made sure the, that, that it wasn't enough. It, it didn't amount to anything. When you're greedy, all the things you try to build up usually end up getting burnt up. It doesn't amount to anything. And those who didn't have enough, God miraculously provided. When you're faithful and you run short, God will make sure that you make it. Now this was in food. It also applies in the spirit. Because what I'm talking about today is all manner of want and need, not just in the physical material things. But I am concentrating on that because I do believe we're about to go into a season where there will be a great physical need. God has been giving us continuously about the loaves and the fishes. That's a reminder that he provides for our physical needs. Because many of the miracles that Jesus did were for the glory of God or out of compassion and mercy, or because there was a timing and a season, or to validate the message. The loaves and the fishes specifically was just to tend to their physical need. They had been fasting three days and they got hungry. And he said, I'm not going to send them away fasting because they'll faint before they get home. So he provided a miracle to physically feed them. That's a reminder that he cares about our physical needs. But we have to be willing to pursue him, to tend to the needs of him, his work, his ministry, because these people had sought the Lord for three days diligently listening to him. They had been faithful and obedient. They hungered after Christ, so he filled them spiritually and physically. Very important. Because a day later, a bunch of other people show up who heard about it, and just wanted free stuff. They come saying, we have heard about the loaves and the fishes. And Jesus basically tells them, are you here for a handout or are you here for me? And they try to trick him and con him and bully and bluff him into giving them free things. And of course, we've all been there. Oh, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to give me your house. You're supposed to all, you know, we've all been there. Jesus refused. He wouldn't feed them. So he's not obligated to tend to physical needs. But those who had pursued him, he tended to them. He sent those other people away hungry. He did not succumb to their demands. They even referred back to this passage and tried to say, well, Moses did it. If you're all big and mighty, why can't you feed us like Moses did? He gave manna from heaven. And Jesus' response was, Moses didn't do that. God did. 
and I'm the manna that came from heaven. I'm right now. Do you want me or do you not? The church is not obligated to tend to every person's wants. The church is obligated to tend to God and to the needs of the brethren. We are obligated to tend to each other, to the needs. Now, out of love, we still tend to wants. We do birthday cakes. But you have to be diligent because there's times where you have to say no because that want can be hurtful. Maybe it's not what they need. For example, we probably shouldn't have given Pastor Glenn a birthday cake. Because <laughs> he really doesn't need that. He's a diabetic. Somebody, one the kids still your candy This kid is going to be a great We see the same example in the, uh, the widow woman with the story of Elijah. Elijah is going and God says, I have prepared a widow woman to tend to your needs. Go to this place and, and do ministry. He gets there and he comes and this widow woman comes to him and he tells her, uh, make me a cake. I'm hungry. And she tells him, I mean, we're under siege. We have nothing. I have just enough flour and oil to make one cake. Me and my son is going to eat it and die. He, he told, this is what he tells her. He didn't give her any great promises. He didn't tell her, oh, God's going to tend to everything. We're gonna, you're going to be famous. We're going to make you, you know, big ministry. You're going to be on YouTube. We're he said, instead, make me a cake and then make one for you and your son. And she does it. Everything she had left, she gave it to God. And because of it, God never let what she had run out. That oil... Yeah. And that flower continued to refill for the entire length of the, the, the siege and when the people didn't have anything. And you think about that, because she was willing to give her all for God, God made sure that she had more to give. How many more people was she able to bless through that season? If you know that your provision will not run out, wouldn't you just hand it out? Wouldn't you give it out? And I'm here to tell you because today I'm going to give you some biblical principles on how to flourish in hardship, and it's always going to be contrary to what you think needs to happen. You think you need to hoard. You think you need to do all these things. God says, why don't you increase your giving? Why don't you find somebody who needs and help them? Why don't you trust God with everything in those areas that you've been holding back a little bit? And watch him bring provision. I've seen him do it time and time and time and time again. We see it throughout scripture. God says, test me in this and I will prove it. Now, we've been here 50 years. We're not a money church. We're, we're not a tithe, tithe, tithe. We rarely ever preach it. But there are times where it's warranted to be, and I'm not really even talking so much about tithing to the church, but just in general, having a charitable spirit. But there are principles in it that the more God sees he can trust you to give, the more he'll give you to give. He says, prove yourself in the little things and I'll make you ruler over much. And I've always seen those that were charitable and gave to God, they never lacked. They never went without. God always gave more because he knew they would distribute it. They were faithful with that resource. So in dealing with the physical needs, 
The more you can give to others, the more he will give you to give, even when it seems like there's no way that you should be getting it. But that applies also in the spiritual. If you're faithful in the little, he'll give you more. So if you're willing to spend that time searching the scriptures and seeking the Lord for for devotion and spiritual manna and giving that to others, he'll trust you with more of it also. That's how we grow in grace. That's how our sermon, our Sunday school lesson ended about growing in grace. That's how you increase in these things, by being faithful with the little bit that you've been given. We see this in Exodus where God told them to tend to the brethren, basically. Tend to each other, where God made sure that nobody had too much and nobody had too little. We see it also reflected in the New Testament church. 2 Corinthians 8, 13. Tell y'all, it's probably not the message you want to hear, but it's the one you're going to need very shortly. In 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 13, it says, For I mean not... This was um, Paul speaking... To the Corinthians, I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. In other words, he's saying, I'm not telling you to, to do it to the point to where you're suffering and sacrificing and you have nothing and, they, and they're doing nothing and they have everything. In other words, don't let people use you to the point of burnout. But for there to be equality and to try to make sure there's nobody being left out in the body that now at this time your abundance may supply their want, that their abundance also may supply your want. So basically Paul's telling them that if you have a little extra right now, help them because there may come a time when they have a little extra and you need help from them. That there would be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much and had nothing over, and he that hath gathered little lacked nothing. So he was referencing back to the collecting of the manna in the New Testament church in relation to them tending to each other because they were in very difficult situations. When these things were written, they were under persecution. Many of them may not have even been able to to work. They were in hiding. Some could. There were different classes of people coming into the faith. And he was telling them, look out for each other. You are a family. Now, throughout the New Testament, there are guidelines for charity. The Bible is very clear that if you don't work, you don't eat. It's not talking about handouts or letting people just completely suck off of you until you have no strength and energy left and then everybody's out. God does not endorse socialism at any point or fashion. Laziness is absolutely It's a sin. It's completely spoken against in Scripture. It's selfish. And and that's really a big part of the word that's to release today is to recognize that your wants can hurt somebody's needs. Because if you're selfish and you're taking more than you need, then somebody who does need is not getting what they need because of what you wanted. Now that can apply in money. That can apply in time and attention and energy in the ministry or in homes. If if you are one of those people that constantly all the time has to have the full attention, then you are robbing someone else who truly needs. There might be somebody who is on the verge of suicide in a service 
that is really broken and depressed and, and really in a terrible situation that their world is really falling down and they never get ministered to because the same person who has to draw the pastor's attention every time the altars are open runs up and has to have all of their... It's not something you needed. It's something you wanted and you robbed somebody else from getting what they needed. It's selfish. Now that applies in every area. If you're eating more food than you need, I always said the American church has, has erased two sins from the list, gossip and gluttony. <laughs> they think gossip and gluttony is not a sin. But it, the fact of the matter, and it, and it may not have been as prevalent in times past, but in the season that we're going into, it's going to become more of an issue. Because I'm telling you, there is starvation on the horizon. Things are going to get difficult. There is a, a consorted effort to crash and destroy the economies of the world. Because the seventh world empire is collapsing, they want to bring in the eighth. We see it all laid out in scripture, but now we're seeing it happening. And it will affect economics. The Bible tells us that it will take a whole day's wages to buy a loaf of bread. All right? So if you are a person who is used to eating more than you need just because you want, then somebody else could die because of your greed. That's why gluttony is a sin. It's selfish. Plus, somebody worked and labored and things were sacrificed to bring those meals about. So in every area that Americans are not used to looking at, this is going to be tested. So get it in our spirit now. Do I need this or do I just want this? And if it's just a want, can I sacrifice it to help somebody else get what they actually need? Because God will bless that. And if you're willing to do it, he will increase the provision and your ability to do it. So that even in drought and trial and tribulation and famine, you can be the one distributing like the widow woman with her oil and her, her flour. Be willing to give. Be willing to ask the Lord, show me who needs in whatever area. And don't be greedy for money, for food, for material things, for attention, for anything. In other words, stop looking inwardly and start looking outwardly. Stop looking for what you want and start looking around for what others need. And you know what? A lot of times that's what it takes to take you out of a funk. That's one thing that will really truly help you when you're getting attacked by the enemy and you're feeling down and beat down and depressed. Go fight for somebody else. And the same things that the devil was telling you when you were like, ah, about, you're going to then be telling these other people do this and you're going to be like, oh yeah, should have did that myself. It, it will help you to soldier up and get back on your feet when you're willing to go fight for somebody else and tend to their needs. The American church is too me, 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 internalized when it needs to be more focused on the body. And I think with things that are about to happen are going to help it. Now, everybody wants the revival. Everybody's been crying and praying for revival. We want to see revival. Revival is coming, but not the way they wanted it. Because they wanted selfish, celebrity, look at me, I'm on a big stage, put me on TV kind of revival. And that's not what the Lord is in. The Lord is going to move just like he promised in the scriptures and great exploits on the least of these, the little no-name places that are willing to do the work of the kingdom. 
what he said to tend to the widow and the orphan, the fatherless, to give sight to the blind and healing and liberty, those that are willing to show compassion. We've, we've get, gotten that word a lot lately about compassion. God wants to see compassion. And so we're all waiting for the outpouring, the outpouring, the outpouring. And God says, I will pour out in compassion. He'll pour out his spirit, but he also wants us to pour out food and clothes and, and outreach and all those things that we do. We tend to the homeless. We do outreaches. We do all those things. But I'm just telling you there's going to be a need more greater than you might imagine. And we have to find the balance between standing on Scripture and not enabling, because that can do damage, but also being willing to sacrifice ourselves to be able to help others who truly do need. The Bible tells us that we can rob God. So this just isn't advice. This can become sin. This is one of those things that is a heart issue that we have to check ourselves on. Because we can steal from God. How do you steal from God? Proverbs 22, verse 22, says, Rob not the poor because he is poor, neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. For the Lord will plead their case and spoil the soul of those that spoil them. When you take more than you need just because you want, then there is not enough there to help those who truly need. And you have robbed the poor and needy. And therefore you have robbed God. Because God considers it his job and duty to tend to the needs of the poor and the needy, the widow and the orphan, but he does it through his people. So when you don't do those things, you are stopping the flow of his work and his function. Again, understand, because I know there is physical shortage coming, I'm talking about physical, but this is not just spirit physical. Because I can tell you, and I know everybody in this room experiences it, you know, as ministers, because we do a lot of charity and because we do, the, then you can get very overwhelmed constantly. And we get it constantly. There's not a day that we don't get 15, 20 phone calls people constantly asking us for things that they want but don't need. Can I get a ride to McDonald's? Can you come cut my grass? Can you? And, and, and it's like, okay, I have a list of people asking for help. You know, can I get this or can I get that? Well, don't you have this or that? Can you do this? Or they don't want to do for themselves or they don't want to do what needs to be done. They want a handout and something that they really don't need that's not good for And then so I have to sit back and be like, okay, look, you are robbing from those who truly need. We have no more time, no more energy, no more resources because you didn't need it. We have to learn the difference between wants and needs. Because if you keep clinging to these wants, you will follow the Antichrist because he will give you what you want. Amen. You'll just have to take a mark to get it. Amen. You have to learn to submit, to humble, to sacrifice, to be mature, to seek the Lord and say, God, what do I need? I can jump ahead of my notes and give you the quick answer. We need Jesus. It says he will give, he will supply all of our need. We'll pull that scripture up in a minute, but I, I love that passage because it doesn't say he will supply all of our needs. It's not a plural word. It says he will supply all of our need to imply we really only need one thing. 
Jesus. Which is why when the multitude came to Jesus asking for food and material things, but not wanting him, he gave them nothing. Because he could have given them the whole world and still not given them what they needed. Because what they really needed was Jesus. And if they don't want Jesus, then everything else you give is pointless. Even healings. If a person is seeking a healing but doesn't want the healer, then does it even help them to be healed? It might just give them a little more time to heap coals on their head for judgment, to keep sinning and doing things that are going to increase their damnation. It's got to be about Jesus. Lord, help the church and the people to be more selfless and not so selfish. The Bible also says that we rob God when we don't pay tithe and offering. Now, we have a lot of young, again, I said we don't really preach this a lot, but at the same time, we do have to give account for your souls. So I know we have a lot of young people that are just coming into the workforce um, and they need to know this because the Bible tells us that, that God owns already 10% of everything that we make. It already belongs to God. We are required to give that 10% to God. It's not an option. The Bible is clear that you're either blessed if you do or you're cursed if you don't. Right? And then there is an offering, which is above the 10%. Right? No, I'm not telling you put your money in the plate. You seek the Lord for where it goes, but you do need to give. God could tell you to put it in the collection plate. He could tell you there's a widow down the street that needs help with her electric bill. He could tell you send it to Voice of the Martyrs. They need help overseas. He can tell you where there is a need. But you need to learn to have a charitable heart and to teach your children. That's why we do the little march with the kids in the bank. It's to show them from an early age that we don't hoard money in these things. We, we use it for the work of the kingdom. So biblically, there is a requirement for the 10%, and then there is an offering, which is anything more or above, whatever, the, whatever you feel to do. The scripture tells us that if we do it, he will rebuke the devourer and our land will be productive and fruitful. And I can tell you that because I've been in ministry all of my life, those who do, God provides and multiplies and they are never lacking. And I can see it even in, in my own life because Bible says, test me in this. It's interesting because a lot of the promises of God in scripture have conditions. That one doesn't have a condition. It doesn't even have the condition of salvation. It works even for sinners. That's why evil corporations still give to charity because they know that it works. God said, test me in this and see that if you're willing to give to others, if I will not open up the storehouses and help you with more because he wants us all distributing to each other and he will do it. And I've given, we've given to the last penny where there was not a drop left above and beyond in the account and watched him turn around and literally, we helped somebody one time and emptied our savings down to nothing. We, we, they needed help getting started and we dropped all we had left in savings to help them get on their feet. And the very next day out of nowhere, there was a $3,000 check in the mailbox. And it's like, where did this come from? I don't know, it's, it's, it's a different group that Danny's never dealt with that wants him to just randomly, hey, would you do a video for our, our little group that we're doing, a coalition against drunk driving or whatever. The crazy thing is, is that every month for a year since that happened, he has called them and said, when do y'all wanna do the video? And they never, 
they still haven't gotten their product. They don't even want it. They, God just dropped the check. But it's the point that he really will give if you're willing to prove to him that he can trust you with it because that thing has not become an idol. And that's really a lot of what it's about. He tells us in Malachi 3, verse 8, Will man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now, in other words, test me on this, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that you shall not have enough room to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And this is so true and so interesting because you've all been there. You finally get a little bit saved up and then all of a sudden everything breaks and you have to spend it all. Amen. That can be the devourer. All right. So Jesus actually says that if, you, if you're willing to, to give to God first, he'll prevent the devourer from destroying what's left. And I can tell you from experience in my life that anytime I thought, okay, I'm going to tend to everything, pay my bills, get everything done, and if I have 10% left, then I'm going to give it, the devil will make sure it's devoured before you get there. You will never have enough to give. But every time I always gave it first, even when there made no sense, I always ended up having more than I needed at the back end. And this applies not just to money, this applies to time and everything. If you think I got to get all these chores done and run all these errands and I got to get this and that done and then at the end of the day I'm going to have enough time to spend a little time with God in prayer and all of that, the devil's going to devour all of your time and you're not going to have any time to spend in prayer. But if you give him first, spend a little time in the morning, give him that time first, even if you know your day is so busy I don't have much to give, then you'll find the rest of your day is so productive. You get so much more done it doesn't pay for the devil to fight your time. He's already, you've already given it to God. <laughs> he will rebuke the devourer in every area. Give to God first. And again, I'm, you know, I'm not hounding on y'all, put your money in the Give it where the Lord tells you to put it. Because he might tell you that there's a kid that doesn't have clothes, go buy him some clothes. The Lord will direct you in where it needs to be. But you have to have a charitable heart and you have to be willing to give to the Lord first before he will provide all of the needs behind it because he can't endorse dysfunction. We have to do it his way. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. So the resources are his anyway. In fact, he says that the 10% already belongs to him. That's why if we don't give it, we're stealing from him. Now, the 10% is obedience because he commands it. The offering is anything above, that's sacrifice. And that's really what he blesses. And I've seen it time and time again that when you are willing to give above and beyond, he will pour out mountains to give above and beyond and turn it back around. He, the thing is, is he wants to distribute to the brethren. There's just very few people he can trust to do it. 
because most people hoard it for themselves and pocket it. They're not willing to distribute. I, we, I mean, we know Sam, Brother Sam Smith, you know, God has, he has been blessed in that area that he has always been a big giver and God has just funneled companies and resources to him and through him because he uses it for good for others, for the kingdom, to help those that need it. God knows he can trust him with that ministry. So prove yourself faithful in the little and he'll give you more. Even when things get very desperate, still be willing to help those that need and avoid the temptation to hoard and be selfish and keep everything in. If you don't give to God, then you will never have enough. But if you give to God, you will always have more than enough in every area. Now, again, God does not need your money. This is not a principle that is about money. But he does need your trust, your faith, and your dependence. And really, that's what this area is testing. What is your faith really in? Because you can't give those things to both him and mammon, which is materialism. And I'm using this today as kind of a barometer for us to check our heart and see how we feel about what we're hearing. Because if we don't like it, then that might mean there's a root of materialism there. Maybe there is an idol. And the Antichrist will move through materialism. That's socialism is just a step to communism. All of these things are Antichrist governments. And they manipulate through materialism. In fact, this goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel because that's how Nimrod controlled way back then. Make the people dependent on the government so that they can be God. And, and put them, when it says that, that he stood in the place of God wanting to be worshipped as God, you know, we think of the Tower of Babel as a Sunday school story where the guy wanted to stand in heaven and pretend to be God. That's not really what it's about. It's literally about putting yourself in the place of God, that place over the people, their dependency, their provision, their shepherd. And governments have tried to do that all through the ages. And they're going to do that until Christ comes and destroys them and sets up the millennial reign of Christ. If you put your faith in materialism, if you make that your God, if you don't trust God in every area, you will be deceived. You will fall for the enemy. Because he will give you... You know, there, there was a, a famous quote from Stalin, which was one of the early founders of communism, where he took a chicken up on stage and plucked the thing alive until it was just naked and bloodied. And, and he dropped it and it was terrified and it ran from him. And then he threw a little chicken feed and it came back towards him to get the chicken feed. And he said, you can do whatever you want to the people as long as you give them a little chicken feed. So when you get your little stimulus check, when you get your little welfare check, when you get your little handout, when you get your little school boxes, while they're stripping away all of your freedoms and closing down your churches, and you're a chicken getting plucked while you're getting thrown chicken feed and you're still running back for your chicken feed. Learn the tactic. And don't let your heart be manipulated by those things. That's why God tells us to do these things. Not because he wants our money. It's because he wants our heart. 
and he's testing us to see if the heart, if our, the money has our heart. In Philippians 4, verse 15, it says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, this is Paul speaking to the church of Philippi. I always kind of love this passage because the church in Philippi was led by a bunch of women. And he basically tells them, thank y'all so much for sending me all those care packages while I was in prison. Nobody else did. And I'm like, well, of course the church full of women sending food in prison. They cooked. Oh, you got enough to eat, my baby. Make, or how they treating you? Let me sew you a blanket. Did you get your medicine? But, <laughs> but Paul says that when I departed from Macedonia... No other church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving. In other words, nobody else was helping me. But you only, only the church at Philippi. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. He had a need. The Lord provided. The church at Philippi sent to help him, and he's thanking them for it. Not that I desire a gift. Now he's saying, I, I want to I commend you on what you're doing. Not because I want you to send me more stuff. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And that's why I'm giving the word today. And I, I'm just telling y'all, I'm not doing this because we need money. This church has done well because we don't have greedy pastors. Um, and we have faithful, you know, hardworking people. And even through the lockdowns, the Lord has always provided. And every time we need something, money shows up in a random check from nowhere. Like the Lord has always taken care of us. And we've never had to ask or beg or, or you know, preach tithe really hardly any. But as Paul said to them, I'm telling you this because I do want you to grow in fruitfulness. And there are principles in this. I'm not telling you this even for my own gifting. You can send it wherever you want but I want you to abound in fruitfulness to grow that character of selflessness and concern for others and not always looking inwardly at our own needs. He says, I desire that fruit may abound to your account, plus that God can bless you with more. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of... This was the guy that had brought him the stuff from them into prison. Um, they had sent some care packages to him when he was in prison and they had sent a man from their church with them. Uh, he brought the things and ended up getting sick and had to stay there for a while with him while he got better and Paul was praying for his health. I think God probably orchestrated that so that he could learn from Paul some more and go back and help the church. Um, so God's hand was in it, but it did kind of worry Paul because he didn't want this man to die in prison sick because he came to help him. So he said he had sent these things from them an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable. So of the, the physical things that they had sent, he's saying to God, this was a sweet-smelling savor, a sacrifice that was acceptable and well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God will supply the needs of those who tend to the needs of God. I was talking with Sissy yesterday. We were remembering a, a little incident when we still lived over here. And uh, we had a little chicken yard. And we had a little chicken house, and it was starting to fall apart. Like, I had a tarp over the top. 
And we were so busy in ministry, and my thought process is I'm going to build them another chicken coop. But we were constantly, every day, books in ministry going all over the place, and I never could get a weekend off to build a chicken coop. I couldn't do it. And so there's one at Tractor Supply, and Danny's like, oh, look. And I go look, and it's like $1,500. And I was like, there's no way. No, we're not, we can't spend that much on it. I could, be, and it's small, yeah. So, and I, I'm like, can't do it, can't do it. So we tend to the work of the Lord instead, and we just keep pressing on in ministry. And then after a while, the Lord tells me one morning, he says, you tend to my work, and I'll tend to yours. Because I never had time to build this coop. Well, that same coop that I had, that I had been looking at, that really liked it, but that wouldn't spend that much money, couldn't do it. That same day the Lord tells me that, that's the time Danny worked at Tractor Supply, he calls me, he said, hey, they put in that coupon clearance. You want it? I said, how much? He said, I don't know, they didn't put the sticker yet. I said, well, let me know how much. And when I hook up the phone, I said, Lord, what I would have spent on the materials to build what I wanted would have been between six and 700. So I would be willing to give between six and 700 for that coupon. Immediately he texts me back, they want 650. Exactly between six and seven hundred. Exactly what I said. I was like, I texted him back. I said, God wants me to have this coop. <laughs> Go ahead and get it. <laughs> and it's and mom and them have it now. We still have it. It's a good coop. But when you tend to the work of the Lord, He will tend to you. He will make it happen. And He'll do it in a way that you know He did it. Yeah. And it'll last. So trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. He supplies all of our needs. But again, like I said earlier, that passage is so important because it's not multiple needs. The word is need. We have it up there. But my God shall supply all your singular need according to his riches and glory. He has all the riches. He has everything. He really is all we need. And he will supply everything. So we really only have one need, and that's him. And when you prioritize that... Everything else will come. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. But if you put the other things first, you will never have anything because the devourer will destroy everything and you will have no protection from it because he won't be in it. Psalms 37 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So, we're talking about needs instead of wants, but the scripture says he'll give you the desire of your heart, right? And that's what, oh, well, he'll give me the desire of my, oh, well, I want to two-story house and a Corvette and a million dollars in my bed. There was a condition here. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then he'll give you the desire of your heart. Why? Because he will only give you the desire of your heart when your heart is for him. If you desire him, he will give you himself because he is all he needs. If you want something else, he's not going to give it because he's not going to give you something that's going to destroy you. If you beg enough, he might, but you don't want him to. 
The Israelites begged for quails enough until he said, okay, you can have it until it came out their nose and killed them. So don't beg for things you don't need. It's not going to last. If you desire him, he will give you your desire because he will give you himself. God promised us a new heart, which is his. And if we truly have his heart, then it's safe for him to give us the desires of his heart. But if we don't have that new heart and he's not our whole desire, which would be an evidence that we have that new heart, then it would be dangerous for him to give us the desires of our heart because the Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitful and wicked. So that's not a good thing to do. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 says, For ye need to have patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So God will answer. He will give promises. It's maybe not always in our timing, but it's always in perfect timing because he doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. We have to do the will of God first. Most of the promises of God are conditional. They come with ifs. They come with other segments that we like to leave out and just speak the conclusion, but we don't look at the journey. Psalms 84, 9 says, Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I had rather to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. So if it really is good for you, if it's really what you need, he won't withhold it from you. So if he's not given it, there's a reason. Trust him. Seek him. And it says to his anointed, to those who walk uprightly, to those who delight in him, to those who trust him. Again, seek him first and he will tend to the needs. If something were to happen next week and the economy of this nation would fall completely apart in one hour, the Bible says that Babylon will be destroyed in one hour and that all the economies of the world will wail because it's all going to collapse quickly. We love the suddenlies and, by, and, and, you know, oh, Jesus comes with a mighty rushing wind and suddenly and, oh, we want revival in a sudden. Well, there are judgments that come suddenly too. If your heart is in the right place, you don't have to be shaken because you know that he is still with you. If you lose everything like Job did, but you still have him, then you still have all you need. Don't panic. Things might be a little different, but you're going to get to know him in ways that you could never imagine. You're going to know him as your provider, as your shepherd, as your God, where other things as your healer. In fact, we look at all of these big revivals in third world countries. We, had a, we have a friend, Blessing, he's from India. And, you know, he would tell us when he was in Bible college with Pastor Daniel, he said, you know, in my country, we live by miracles. We see miracles every day. And he would tell us things that they had experienced and that had happened. He said, but when I come to America, it's like immediately we don't have faith for miracles. It's hard. I don't understand. And I said, I do. It's desperation. There's a need. You're desperate in your country. 
And here we can run to a doctor. We can take a pill. We can write a check. We can get welfare. There's no need. There's no desperation. There's no cry. There's no connectivity. There are other gods. We're trusting in the gods of Egypt. And what you see happening in our nation, even through the last wave of judgment that we had with COVID and with the elections and with the riots and all of that, when Egypt started falling, each plague attacked a god of Egypt. Each one of those plagues specifically was meant to break their faith in one of the gods of Egypt so that whenever the the end of it came, they would have faith to leave them and follow him out into the wilderness. Then he moved in miracles to build their faith in him. What we saw in 2020 was God attacking the gods of Egypt in America to break the people's faith in the political system, in the medical system, in the judicial system, pretty soon in the economic system. He's breaking people's faith in the gods that they really put their trust in right now so that when the time comes, they'll have enough faith to follow him out of it. And then he's going to start moving in great miracle signs and wonders and manifestations to build people's faith. But first he has to break their faith in what it's already in. The nation's been crying out for revival, the church, for 50 years. God's saying, no, that's not enough. I need reformation. I got to tear it down and I got to build it back up. First, we got to destroy their faith in the gods of Egypt before I move to build their faith in me or there will always be a mixture. So God's about to do it. That's why we see so many big conferences where you got to pay $80 to get in. When the Bible says that the gospel is to preach to the poor and the needy. But the door fee is to cover all of the wants, not the needs. Because they want so much more than they actually need. God can move. We've all seen God move mountains. We've seen him shut up the heavens. We've seen him stop the rains. We've seen him get people out of wheelchairs. We've seen him do miraculous things. We've seen him raise people off their deathbeds. We've seen God move on street corners with a box guitar and a few people worshiping and praying. You don't need all of the big performance and production. But the church wants it because it looks good on them. But he's about to come to shut it down. He's going to make them give up their wants so that they can learn what they really need. We learn it now. It'll be a lot easier on us. And he'll use you to lead others through it because he said those that had understanding instructed many so we're going to go ahead I think and close on that and say Lord we ask you today to remind us not to be stingy but to be more giving and more willing to help others to learn to give up some of our wants to tend to the needs of someone else not to overconsume anything. That gluttony is still a sin, and it doesn't just apply to food, Lord, but even attention, anything that we don't need, Lord, help us to see the need and feel the hurt and the cry in the body. Give us discernment to know that what is truly in need and what isn't. Help those who don't know the difference to shed selfishness, immaturity, to be 
strong and productive members of the body. Help us to stop thinking of ourselves and to start thinking of others in every situation. To not spend all of our time crying out about our own wants, Lord, but to seek you for where the needs truly are. To lift up a cry for the others, for the broken heart. Help us to have wisdom and to have maturity, Lord. I know most of us here understand this. And what you're speaking today may be more for the media ministry, Lord, but also for us to get it in our heart so that when things start falling apart, we're not shaken or fearful and we don't react and end up doing something that would cause us to fall back, but that we would be ready with excitement and anticipation and say, okay, now comes the miracle manifestations because God's going to have to do this in a way that money and mammon and materialism can't counterfeit it. Lord, you're going to finally show them that you're stronger than all of the world's systems, than economics, than politicians, that you are a God that moves in true evangelism, in the highways, in the byways, under bridges and abandoned buildings, that you are the God that does the impossible and that you raise up the least of these to do it. We trust you. We thank you. We ask that you prepare our hearts to be used in the midst of it. As this great turnover comes and you begin to tear down those at the top that have been feeding on the flock and raise up those from the bottom who are not, that we would be found in the right place and having the right heart and able to be used to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.